Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I made the cry for comments. I have comments. And... and uh, it, they're they're uh, they're really interesting. I'm going to read the the first one. That's kind of funny. And this is the comment. Comments or no, it's a jolly good show. <laughs> so, so uh, thank you. That's from Drew, and uh, he's telling me don't worry about the no comments because we all like it anyway. And then also I have another comment from from uh, Drew, and this goes all the way back. A couple shows like back to November, and uh, and uh, of course uh, Grant Turd is in here with me, so he he he'll remember this. But we were talking about the whalers that came down to breakfast and they didn't say anything. And this is what his question is. He says, "I wonder if the silence of the whalers is similar to that of the combat veterans. What they had experienced was too horrific to recount." And so uh, uh, I think that he might be onto something there. So that seems like the best idea yet. We, we were talking about maybe they ran out of stuff to say because they were around each other all the time, or maybe maybe they were tired, or maybe they just wanted to focus on eating, but or maybe they were socially awkward. But that def, that uh, explanation seems yeah. like it's by far or, their best. Or one. maybe they saw somebody eating by a whale. <laughs> you know, we you know, Melville is just he's just pretty crafty the way he writes. He doesn't tell you everything because he wants you to think deep. Right. And he wants you to analyze. So, so anyway, thank you for those comments, Drew. Keep those coming. And uh, I'll put a little plug in right now for the uh, Shakespeare's Royal Education podcast is, is up and running. And so uh, I want everyone that listens to JBL be faithful to that one as well. And actually, Drew, Drew has written me a comment on that one, so I'm not going to read that on this on this broadcast. Save it for the other one. So I'll save it for the other Congratulations one. Congratulations on that show, by the way. Oh, thanks. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I, I got a comment today from someone, and it's like a whole page, and they were saying about how in, they're from another country than America, and they were just saying that this is so good to have Shakespeare education because none of our kids in this country are taught it. And so, uh, so anyway, I think it's, uh, it's really exciting. They also know that I used uh, Mr. Gerald Fleury's article, and they really appreciated that. They said, man, that was really good for you to do that. So, so uh, uh, you know, he's the one that's behind all this. He's the one that's, that's, he's the one that got me thinking about this years ago. <laughs> that, that article's from 2017. So, yeah. yeah, anyway. Well, on our last podcast, Grant and I finished the program with a discussion of Chapter 29. Now, for today's program, Grant and I want to begin our discussion with two short chapters, and uh, that begins with number 30, and then we'll skip ahead to chapter 36. And, uh, uh, you know, both, both Grant and I are instructors here at the, you know, at the college and at, the, uh, at IA. He is also at IA. And uh, we have all kinds of other things going. There's a, <laughs> we're coming to the end of the semester. We've got finals to write. We've got to read papers. So uh, sometimes I mess them up and 
don't give him the right chapter, so <laughs> so he'll have to forgive me. So welcome back, Grant. Thank you very much. So so let's get into chapter thirty, and uh, it's called the pipe. And uh, the, the first thing I want to do for everybody out there listening, if you don't have the book with you, uh, you know you, you do need to look at it and read read the chapter. But if you uh, but if you don't have the book, um, don't be confused. This is not like Stubbs pipes. This is this is a whole different view, and actually we're talking about, and I'm going to call him King Ahab. <laughs> and finally, finally we're getting to the point where Melville is representing that this is actually King Ahab, and so uh, so. But anyway, I'll just read the first couple sentences, then we can open up. It says, "When Stubb had departed, Ahab stood for a while, leaning over the bulwarks, and then, as had been usual with him of late." Calling a sailor of the watch, he sent him below for his ivory stool and also his pipe. Lighting the pipe at the binnacle lamp and planting the stool on the weather side of the deck, he sat and smoked. And so, so here he's up above. I mean, he's not in his cabin, but uh, you know, he asked that they uh, bring his stool and they bring his pipe. So I'll let you talk a little bit about the next paragraph. So what does it reveal to us? It's like he is a Norse or a Danish king, and uh, all of their thrones were made out of the tusks of the narwhal. So it, it's almost like Ahab is presenting himself as a king by having a, an ivory stool very similar to the, 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 the thrones that the Danish kings would sit on. Right, right. And so, so it's definitely... It's definitely a king. You know, he's definitely, uh, Melville looks at him at, at like King Ahab. He says, uh, he goes on to say, How could one look at Ahab then, seated on that tripod of bones, without bethinking him of the royalty it, it's, it symbolized? And so, so there he goes. He said, For a Khan of the plank. Now he's talking, he's, he's, he's also comparing him to Genghis Khan. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, this guy's a tough guy. He's the king of the sea, and he's the the great lord of Leviathans. Uh, he called him the great lord of, Le, of Leviathans, and so so uh, you know I, I think we're we're getting closer and closer to uh, to realizing <clears throat> that uh, you know the Ahab of Melville is uh, pretty similar to the Ahab of the Bible. <laughs> they're both megalomaniacs, <laughs> right? right. So, they they're just obsessed with almost like well king ahab at least in the bible was obsessed with being evil his wife jezebel was as wicked as it gets and ahab was setting up all kinds of paganism and idolatry in the nation and here ahab we're going to learn a lot today about captain ahab and what he's actually obsessed with and what his real flaw is too yeah that's right that's right but anyway what I think is really interesting, and it might actually even give us some insights into what, you know, even King Ahab anciently, when you're that, uh, you know, set on evil, it doesn't make you happy. I don't, I don't see how it can, you know. So, so anyway, he says, some moments passed during which the thick vapor came from his mouth and quick and constant puffs, which blew back at him in his face. So he's he's on the ship, and he's facing forward. And so he's puffing on the smoke, and the smoke's hitting him back in the face. And so, <laughs> so I, I don't see where that would be that enjoyable. You know? no. So, 
<laughs> so anyway, uh, he goes on, he says, how now, he soliloquized at last, withdrawing the tube, the smoking no longer soothes, oh my pipe, hard must it go with me if thy charm be gone. Here I have been unconsciously toiling, not pleasuring, I and ignorantly smoking to windward all the while, to windward and with such nervous whiffs as if, like the dying whale, my final jets were the strongest and fullest of trouble. So, so now he's comparing himself to a whale, you know, and it's like the puff of smoke was like these jets of the whale. And, and uh, remember that, that Moby Dick's, and we're going to learn more about this, but Moby Dick's spouts are amazing. <laughs> you know, they're huge. <laughs> so, so I think it's interesting. He goes on to say, what business have I with this pipe? This thing that is meant for sereneness to send up mild white vapors among mild white hairs, not among torn iron gray locks like mine. I'll smoke no more. And so, so think about this guy. I mean, in, in some ways, I think there is, it, it does reveal his character that, you know, if, if something is not really going to help him or ease his mind, he's getting rid of it. I mean, can you imagine Stubb getting rid of his nine pipes? <laughs> no, <laughs> never. So, so in, in some ways, I think we have to be positive. And I know, um, uh, you know, some people I've talked to, you know, about Ahab is that, you know, he does have some really strong leadership qualities. And, you know, this would be one of them. If it's, if it's going to interfere, get rid of it. You know, and so, but but we also know that he went bad. You know. Yeah, there is a, a really good side to that. There's also the bad side of he can't be soothed by anything anymore because, like we said, he's just so obsessed with one thing. He's wrapped up in his evil way, and nothing can calm him down. I mean, smoking should not be the thing we turn no. to to calm ourselves down anyway. No. But he can't be soothed by that or by anything else, so he's just sick yeah. of everything in a yeah. way. Yeah, right now there's a lot of people smoking a lot of things that are <laughs> making the highways very dangerous. <laughs> right. It's amazing this analogy between uh, the smoking and a dying whale. Because he's facing into the wind, the smoke is coming back and hitting him in the eyes and, and going up back up his nose probably. So it's not the soothing and calming influence that maybe it was for him normally. Right. And just like the whale dying, it's, it's last spouts are the most violent. It's like, right. it's like it's defiant it's as defiant, it dies. Right. So I just love the way he tied those two things together that you would never think had any relationship to each other at all. No, I know when, whenever I read this, I always think about, you know, the, when I write, and uh, I promised my grandchildren I'd write my memoirs. And so I was thinking, I need to start thinking about all these other things I could compare it to. You know, because he, he compares it, he compares a lot of things to a lot of, he's thought about a lot of different things. Yeah. You know, so, so anyway, it goes on there and says, he, he tossed the still lighted pipe into the sea, the fire hissed in the waves, the same instant the ship shot by, the bubble the sinking pipe made. He slouched, with slouched hat, Ahab lurchingly placed the plank. So, so he's off again. He he cannot rest, and you know, the, the, it, in some ways, we're going to learn even more about him <clears throat> as we go along in the next in the next two programs. Anyway, that uh, you know, when, when you're so obsessed, I mean, he's so obsessed with killing Moby Dick. Nothing is going to relax you. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. All right. 
this is a, this is chapter thirty one. We can move on. I'm, a lot of these chapters, the beginning chapters, are so short, you know. But but there's a lot in there, people. When you're reading, don't skip the short ones, and then don't skip the long ones either. <laughs> <laughs> you can skip parts of the long ones, but don't skip the short ones. All right, uh, uh, Grant and I have talked about this, um, you know, off, uh, you know, away from the camera. Uh, the, the, I should say the microphone. And uh, we've talked about it, and sometimes we get confused. What did we talk about on the radio, and what did we talk about <laughs> personally? But uh, this chapter, it's, it's, an, it's a unique chapter title. It's called Queen Mab. And again, one of the things you have to understand is this is, Melville is, is uh, experimenting with Shakespeare. Queen Mab is a fairy in Romeo and Juliet. And so, so he's, he's reading Shakespeare. He's probably reading Romeo and Juliet at this time. And so he just likes the title. I'm just going to take Queen Mab. To me, the title has nothing to do with what's in the, what's it, it's in the chapter. There's nothing about a fairy princess or anything. And so, so what's it about? <laughs> well, the closest thing to a fairy princess is a merman in this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he was trying to be insulting about that. But yeah, you're right. There is no relation to <laughs> the title in any of the content of this chapter. But basically in this chapter, Stubb is upset about this confrontation that he had with Ahab earlier where Ahab called him a donkey. He called him a dog. He he said, get out of my my sight or I will basically throw you into the ocean and you'll die forever is what Ahab was saying to Stubb. So Stubb is still upset later into that evening and all night long he's He's, had this weird dream about it. He's disturbed. It's queer dream, he calls it. He said, such a queer dream. And so he wakes up and he talks to who, he talks to Flask, who is also called King Post. Because remember, when you put when you put Flask next to Dagoo, <laughs> he looks like a chess piece, you know. So, so, so anyway, he says, "Such a queer dream, King Post. I never had. You know, the old man's ivory leg. Well, I dreamed he kicked me with it, and when I tried to kick back upon my soul, my little man, I kicked my leg right off." <laughs> So he lost his leg, you know, and and uh, he said, and then presto, Ahab seemed like a pyramid, and I, like a blazing fool, kept kicking at it. So he says, but but what is still more curious, Flask, you know how curious all dreams are? Through all this rage that I was in, I somehow seemed to be thinking to myself that after all, it was not much of an insult, that kick from Ahab. <laughs> <laughs> and why? I'll let you tell because I know you. I know you think it's hilarious. It is just so funny. The whole reason that it's not that insulting to be kicked by Ahab's peg leg is that it's not a human appendage. It's not. It's not flesh and bone and, and muscle and blood. So it's not as personal to be kicked by it. And he says, you know, being slapped in the face by an open palm is a hundred times more offensive than being beaten with a cane. Even though the cane hurts a lot worse, it's still more of a mortal grave offense to slap someone in the face with your palm. Yeah. And, and, and when I think about it, it's right. It is. It is right. I mean, my dad, uh, like I said, he, he, uh, he really did take care of us. He worked very hard. He worked two jobs and you know, all that. But he wasn't necessarily right there with us all the time. But he never slapped me in the face, ever. Uh, he would make me go out and pick a twitch. You know, a switch. <laughs> and if you brought back a small one, he sent you back. 
And he said, oh no, that's not big enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were hit with switches. So, so, but, but, but I know there have been some friends that have been slapped in the face by a dad, and that's horrible. It does make you feel like a dog. It would. I mean, yeah. you, to get slapped in the face is so demeaning and insulting that you don't even feel like you're a human anymore. But if you're at least getting spanked on the bottom, it's like you're a misbehaving child. You're still a human. Yeah. But, you know, getting slapped in the face puts you below the level of a human. Yeah. And one time, one of my daughters, um, she actually brought <laughs> brought the paddle to me. And she said, Dad, would you spank me? And I said, why? <laughs> she says, well, I did something really bad and I need to be spanked. And I said, tell me what it was. And she told me, I said, oh, yeah, you need to be spanked. <laughs> <laughs> so so there, I mean, I, I really, I spanked in love, you know, and I would explain it, why I had to do this. And I would ask them if they understood it. And I, you know, and so... So that just shows that there is proper spanking. Mm-hmm. If a kid comes to you and says, would you please spank me? I'll feel better if you do it. <laughs> you know? so, so, but look what Melville did. He took, a, you know, he probably experienced his dad doing this with him, but he took it and incorporated it into, into, into this whole thing with Stubb in a dream. And, but it is a true thing what happens with human beings. Yes, and I was just thinking too, getting slapped in the face is still more offensive than being punched in the face. Too. Yeah. A punch is meant to harm. A slap is more meant to insult. put you down. <laughs> exactly. Insult. Yeah, it's it's definitely an insult. So uh, so anyway, let's let's go on. Just we have a little bit of time for this. It says uh, he he said. Uh, uh, let me just go on a little bit below what you just said there. It says, but now comes the greatest joke of the dream flask. While I was batting away at the pyramid, a sort of badger-haired old merman with a hump on his back, takes me by the shoulders and slews me around. What are you about, says he, slid man, but I was frightened, such a fizz, but somehow next moment I was over the fright. What am I about, Say, uh, says I at last, and what business is that of yours? I should like to know, Mr. Humpback. <laughs> Do you want a kick? <laughs> by the Lord Flask, I had no sooner said that than he turned around, his stern to me, bent over and dragging up a a, lit, a, a lot of seaweed, uh, for he had a clout. What do you think? I saw why thunder alive, man. His stern was stuck full of marlin spikes with the points out. Says I on second thoughts. I guess I won't kick you, old fellow. <laughs> <laughs> the one doesn't want to pierce his foot. No, on the spikes. He doesn't want to get. He doesn't want to get spiked. You know, I'll take the. I'll take the kick by the the narwhal bone but i'm not taking a spike so so anyway uh this is really i think just a humorous chapter uh he says seeing he wasn't going to stop saying over his why stub why stub i thought i might as well fall to kicking the pyramid again (laughs) but i'd only just lifted my foot for it when he roared out stop that kicking hello says i what's the matter now old fellow look you here says he let's argue the insult Captain Ahab kicked you, didn't he? Yes, he did, says I. Right here it was. Very good, says he. He used his ivory leg, didn't he? Yes, he did, says I. Well then, says he, wise stub, what have you to complain of? Didn't he kick with the right good will? It wasn't a common pitch pine leg he kicked with, was it? (laughs) No, you were kicked by a great man with a beautiful ivory leg. (laughs) Stub, it's an honor. I consider it an honor. (laughs) Listen, wise stub. 
In old England, the greatest lords think it great glory to be slapped by a queen and made garter knights of, but be your boast of that you were kicked by old Ahab and made a wise man of. Remember what I say, he kick, be kicked by him, account his kicks honors, and no account kick back, for you can't help yourself, wise dub. Don't you see that pyramid? <laughs> so he's talking about being knighted. You get hit by a sword. It's a little different than getting kicked by a narwhal bone, you know. So, but anyway, um, I, I I think that that's just a really a pretty short chapter. But do you have any other comments on that one? Well, it is interesting too because Stubb in real life didn't what couldn't remember if he was actually kicked when he was in that confrontation with Ahab. In the dream, Ahab definitely kicked him. And so Stubb is responding to a hypothetical situation. He doesn't even know if he was kicked. And so that, that that's what he's actually dreaming about, as if he were actually kicked in real life. Um, I do like how the merman tells him to show some respect to authority and just bear the suffering, even if it's unjust, which is a biblical principle that Melville probably knew about as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, so, so that's Queen Mab. Has nothing to do with a queen, no, or a fairy. Um, uh, uh, maybe we could read that last. Sometimes Melville sums up there at the end. This is page one forty-four. What do you think of that now, Flask? Ain't there a small drop of something queer about that? Hey, a white well. Did you mark that man? Look, look ye. There's something special in the wind. Stand by for it, Flask. Ahab has that bloody. Ahab has. That that's bloody on his mind, but mum, he comes this way, and so uh, uh, you know uh, Ahab is coming. So they're gonna they're gonna shut their mouths real quick. Well, then the next chapters don't even continue that. There's no. a, there's a break. It there's an inset in there right after that chapter yeah. ends. So you, you get all excited to see what Ahab's going to do next time he sees Stub, but the story does not pick up there in the next chapter. Yeah. I think it's a I, I think it's a. Uh, device of Melville to get you to read the chapter of cytology yeah. <laughs> and and uh, we're not reading we're not going to read that on the radio but those of you back home uh, if you want to read it go ahead and help yourself but it's just about whales and it is it, it's all his uh, research and then uh, the spec cinder we're not reading that the cabin table we're not reading that so we're going to jump ahead now to uh, to chapter 36 and uh, uh, one, one thing we have to, to realize about chapter 36, this is another Melville experimental chapter. And the reason why we know that, is if you look at it uh, in your book, the, the, uh, the title of the, the chapter is called The Quarter Deck. But then when you look at right underneath it in small letters, it's in parentheses, it says, Enter Ahab, then all. And so, so what you have to understand, that is a scene direction for a play. And so, so you can see, again, this is, a, this is another chapter that is really uh, being influenced by Shakespeare. And we know, and there's a lot of people that, that knew him well. I mean, Nathaniel, Nathor, Nathaniel Hawthorne was his best friend. He and his wife were really encouraging him to finish this book. He didn't think it was going to go anywhere. Uh, but, but they know, biographically, they know he was studying Shakespeare avidly at this time. And so, so you can see he's just starting, well, maybe I should incorporate that in there. But in some ways, it does help. It does help you get a, a better view of what's going on. 
Um, the, uh, the, the, the thing here, th- this chapter, I think, reveals more to us about um, Ahab than any other chapter. And we're probably going to have to spend some time with it at night. This is probably going to take us to the end of the program. Yes. And so, uh, um, but uh, we, we might have to finish it even in the next program. But, but, but I think it's, it's interesting just to start out here. I'm going to start out with this comment. Here you have Stubb, and he calls himself Wise Stubb. If you get down to the bottom of the page, it says, Did you mark him, Flash? So, so what happens is uh, Ahab comes out, and again, he, he's, uh, he's got that look, you know, that he's really troubled or something he's really thinking about. And you can read that in the first couple of paragraphs. But, but Stubb looks at him. And, and I think this is, uh, this is somewhat quite prophetic. He says, do you mark him, Flask, whispered Stubb? The chick that's in him pecks the shell twill soon be out. And so, so Ahab is really mauling around. He's going to do something. And, he's, and uh, Stubb looks at him and says, hey, the chick that's in that brain, it's going to peck its way out. It's coming. We're going to see it. And it goes on there, the hours wore on. Ahab now shut up within his cabin, anon, pacing the deck with the same intense bigotry of the purpose and his aspect. It drew the near the close of day. Suddenly he came to a halt by the bulwarks and inserting his bone leg into the auger hole there and with one hand grasping a shroud, he ordered Starbuck to send everybody aft. So this is kind of at the end of the day. And uh, I'll let you go ahead and pick it up from there. So... Well, finally, we get to hear Ahab speak a little bit more, not just in an argument, but we we learn about his motivation. And he is not just out there to hunt whales in general. He hates and wants revenge on Moby Dick. Just one whale. Moby Dick took his leg. And so now he wants to take Moby Dick's life. That's what it's all about. And so Ahab gets the entire crew riled up. They get so excited that they're surprised why they're so excited they all respond in unison when he asks them a question and they're they're just bursting with enthusiasm and they don't even know why but that's right. just how charismatic ahab is once he finally addresses the crew like this yeah it's kind of like what the news media does when barack obama is speaking <laughs> they just fawn him that's a great point yeah yeah and they just fawn him you know he can say anything and they go oh wow that's so great you know and uh uh that that's ex- that the point is there is something motivating Ahab to do this and he actually he actually makes a lot of revelations about himself here and uh you know he's he's uh, uh we may not be able to get to this in this program but but he's influenced by a higher power yes Ahab it's just clear he is uh, over the next page it says um uh, one of the things, he gets them all together, and everybody thinks it's weird. I mean, even Starbucks says, what's he doing bringing everybody up? You know, because I guess some guys are sleeping because they got the night watch, so he's bringing them all up. Presumably no one's manning the ship at all to no. make sure it goes the right way. <laughs> no. no. So so anyway, but what, what, what I think is interesting, he's got this gold doubloon, and it's like 16 bucks. Six, you know, six, it's, and, but, but what he's what he's a master at here is he's appealing to these guys' greed and their vanity. And and what he's trying to do, he hasn't told them what his plans are yet. But he said, look, you know, if you follow me, he's, he, he gets Starbuck to get him a hammer and he 
sticks this the balloon into the you know the masthead, and uh, he, he he's just saying. Uh, it, maybe I just read it in the paragraph here. It says this is page one seventy six. Says receiving the top mall from Starbucks, he advanced towards the main mast with the hammer uplifted in one hand, exhibiting the gold with the other, and with a high raised voice, exclaiming, "Whosoever you raises me a white headed whale with a wrinkled brow and a crooked jaw, whoever you raises me that white headed whale with three holes punctured in a Starbuck flute, a starboard fluke." Look ye, whoever you raises that me that same white well, he shall have the gold ounce, my boys. And all the seamen are going, huzzah, huzzah. Yeah, that sounds really good. It's 16 bucks. <laughs> now, that may have been a lot of money then. So uh, he said, it's a white whale, I say, resumed Ahab as he threw down the top mall. A white whale. Skin your eyes for him, men. Look sharp for white water. If you see but a bubble, sing out. So, so it's it's interesting what Melville sets up here for us, and uh, he says all this while Testigo, Dagu, and Queequeg had looked on with even more intense interest and surprise than the rest at the mention of the wrinkled brow and crooked jaw they had started, as if each were separately touched by some specific recollection. And so, so essentially, what happens? Testigo says that white whale must be the same that some call Moby Dick. So. The harpooners have seen this guy. And one thing we need to also know about all the harpooners, they are pagan. I mean, they're not Christian, they're pagan. And so, so um, you know, Tashtigo says that. Moby Dick shouted Ahab, do you know the white whale? Then Tash, does he fantail a little curious, sir, before he goes down, said the gay header deliberately. As he has a curious spell too, said Dagoo. Very bushy, even for a parmacetti, and mighty quick, Captain Ahab. So Dagoo also knows about Moby Dick, all right? Now, that's all the time we have for today's program. And so uh, that's all the time for today's program. On our next program, Grant and I will continue our discussion about the quarterdeck, and then we'll try and move on to uh, chapters 38, 39, maybe even get to 40 and 41. That is a great undertaking. So you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You may be able to also find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may uh, also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Of course, you can check your local library. So please write me any comments you have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.